it's good to see you guys, babies included, and uh, to our visitors as well. Maybe just a welcome to, I think some guys came in and never seen, Jess is a friend of yours, good to see you and have you with us, and Warren, two weeks in now, we celebrate your baptism last week with you, it was incredible to see you uh, just walk in last week and all that the Lord has done in one week and what He is doing. Um, and just welcome to anyone else who is also visiting, uh, who has never been here before, actually, besides yourself, ma'am. Is there anyone else? No one else. Okay. But great to have you with us. And um, what I wanted to, sh- to share this morning, uh, excuse me for drinking lots of water, but our family has been struggling a little bit with uh, what everyone else is struggling with. <laughs> We've been, who isn't sick in this place? <laughs> Lisa, Marcia, Marius, would the three of you like to pray for everyone else when we finish, please? <laughs> I think all our bodies just said, I'm going to slow down, and when I slow down, I'm just going to give up a little bit. But strength to us, we're going to have a great holiday, because in a moment of jumping around and worshiping Jesus, did you not feel like super energized? I did. So it's so to be together with his people, the, the freed ones and the chosen ones and the forgiven ones. When we sing about who we are, the truth of who we are, which is singing scripture over ourselves. Uh, it's a beautiful, it's the most beautiful way to find uh, rest, actually, is to dance and sing and shout and use our bodies as Mark encouraged us to do. Because in this place, this is where we find our rest. And yes, we must rest if we're feeling sick and lie down and sleep. But it's in his presence, singing his truth over us. And together with the saints, where we're not only encouraged, but we are energized, revitalized. And it's actually something of a soul thing. It's not just about our physical bodies, although they get, it, they get refreshed and affected too. But then you sense that inner sense of rest as we enter his presence. And so he's calling us to do that as even through the holidays. So be encouraged to keep worshiping him and stepping out. Um, I'm going to talk about the little boy Jesus for a bit this morning. And uh, do you guys know how, how many passages in the whole Bible, who's got a big fat Bible on them that I could quickly hold up? One of those big study Bibles. <clears throat> uh, okay, this is not too bad. It's, it's kind of more standard. But in this whole Bible, on all these pages, guess how many accounts there are of Jesus as a little boy? Not Jesus the man doing what he was called to do in the Gospels, but how many accounts would you say there are, or how many stories? Or Marius says one, and three? Yeah. Armand? One. So I would say one. That's all I can find. Sorry, Nicole. Nicole's always ultra-positive. So Nicole's one is like a three, because that's, <clears throat> but yes, in Luke, and I'm going to read that a little bit later, Dane, don't rush off there. So we're going to look at the fact that Jesus even went through testing, but also as a boy, he went through a test, which was very interesting. In the one account of his life as a little lad, there was a story about him going through a test, and it's what I wanted to share this morning. Someone once said this, very dear to us, if you can tell me who it is. The person always used to say, everything is a test. Who used to say that? Will Murray. Blessed Will. He's now with Jesus in eternity, in the fullness 
experiencing the fullness of life and eternity with Jesus. But he used to say, everything is a test. And every time you came to Will with a challenge or a problem or a question, he said, it's a test, my son. Everything is a test. And like, it's so true. And the older we get, the more we see that and live that. But here's the thing. Although tests are tests are vehicles that our Father wants us to pass so that we grow. Tests are very different to temptations. Temptations were tempted by our great enemy. We're never tempted by our great Father. But we are tested by Him for our good. Okay, I'm going to read a scripture. If you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, just one verse, two verse, sorry, 8 and 9. There we go. Speaking about Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And, going on to nine, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Or, in this version, and once made perfect, or being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Dane, are you able to keep up eight and nine together just for a few more minutes? Is that possible? So just want to keep, keep that as a, like our key scripture. Um, if not, it's fine. Just keep eight and nine on your Bibles or on your phone because it's worth looking over that not just once, but to look over that again. And I'm going to read it a second time. Although he, Jesus, was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So it's the end of the year. It's a time where we are reminded about our creator God, our heavenly father, when he became a little boy. And if anyone's been to a carol service or a nativity play we have at the school, and we were at Kirstenbosch the other night, never been to carols, but our friends treated us to a night at Kirstenbosch and the carols, and the kids were running afterwards to meet the, the, the performers, and of course, Rebecca wanted to grab the doll, which was baby Jesus. And you look and you're going, Jesus was once a baby, just like little Oliver in the back there. He, he went through nappy stage, and he's, he's God, eternal, and he went through nappy stage, and he went through tantrum stage. Can you, can you imagine? And he went through all the stages. And um, he grew up and he matured. But the scripture says that he learned obedience. And this is what got me in the week. If he's fully God and fully man, which is scripturally true, he's both fully God and fully man. If he was fully God, why did Jesus need to learn obedience? Because he is perfect obedience. Jesus, make no mistake, was sinless and perfect and fully obedient right from a child into adulthood. So this is not a scripture that is talking about as a child he was disobedient and like every child, he needed to learn obedience. That's not what it's saying. Jesus was perfectly obedient and perfectly sinless. But the, we need to figure out what is the scripture saying that he needed to learn obedience. And what's in that for us to grasp? That's where I want to go today with us. Okay. So how did he learn obedience? And why did he have to be made perfect as a child? If he was perfection, why would he need to be made perfect? If he was fully obedient and sinless, why did he need to learn obedience? See, these are the questions that we can just keep in our head, and then we can dig in a little bit more, okay? And the little bit more goes into six points. Starting with the first one, which I'm going to jump into a scripture again, and if you, Dane can jump into Hebrews 4.15, if you can turn with me to Hebrews 4.15, there we go. The first point of six, 
Hopefully we get through that question in six points. Jesus was tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. So we see here, for we do not have a high priest. Remember, this is the same book of Hebrews. And here we're reading something that tells us, for we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So there's the clarification that this is not, Jesus is not a boy, a child, a man who had sin or who was disobedient. He didn't need to learn to go from disobedience to obedience because here we see that he was without sin. He was perfect. So point number one, he was tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. Point number two, that phrase in Hebrews, the first scripture, Hebrews 5 verse 8 So learning obedience, as Jesus did, from what he suffered in his life on earth and being made perfect doesn't mean that he moved from any state of sin or imperfection into a place of being sinless or perfect. He didn't grow in that. He was already sinless and perfect. Point three, all this that I can gather, his learning obedience meant this, that he passed a test or two. And in learning obedience, he went through his tests, and he went through them well. And this will be our lot in life. Many of us have been through many tests. And like Jesus, those tests will come thick and fast. If you haven't yet, you've probably only known him a week or two or a month. The tests will come. Sometimes you're tested from the day you baptized. Hey, Warren? And um, so we know that his life shifted. So just, just, just listen to this carefully. We know that... Jesus' life test, his, te- his obedience was tested. He moved from a place of being fully obedient to a place of mature obedience. There's a difference. He was never disobedient to obedient. He was obedient from a child, but he moved to a place of his obedience being fully matured. And how his obedience matured was by coming through a life of tests. And I believe this is the key that the Lord wants to put into us. Today, in our state of growth as a church, in our state of family growth, and the many that are coming in amongst us. For us that have been around and have known the Lord, we need to pass our tests so that our obedience may mature to a place that others will see Jesus in us, and we will come even closer to our Lord and Maker. We will be just like Him. So point four of six. In other words... To explain that, what I, what I wanted to get across, that Jesus learned obedience. He was, number one, he was tested at every point of his life. We know that through the scriptures and we can see that in the gospels. Number two, he proved himself obedient at every one of these tests. At every point of testing, he proved his obedience. Not that he had to prove himself, but he was making sure that we could see, looking back at his life, that his obedience was well-tested and refined. There's another word I would use. is a refined obedience. Imagine giving... Uh, a lot of our kids have finished... Uh, well, obviously they have finished school and hopefully passed all their tests. But imagine uh, Jesus, every test he got was an A. There's no B or C or D. There's no failure. His test marks are always an A. And uh, that's the picture of perfection. And it doesn't mean that he has to prove himself, I was a C, and I need to get an A just to prove who I am. Is he, he was always about getting A's. He's always about it. But when the tests came, the proof was 
I'm, I'm obedient. Look back at my life. And the, I have a, tra- a track record that is absolutely perfect, even through the testing. Okay? And the last point, <laughs> I want to talk about an incomplete obedience, if I can use that phrase. His obedience became complete. It went from incomplete obedience, because it had never been tested, to an obedience that was complete and full and mature because it had gone through the tests. And uh, we want to live in a place of complete obedience, don't we? I mean, of course we want to please our Heavenly Father. Uh, not, we, don't, we don't try to please Him to be right with Him. He's, there's a difference. And we'll touch on the obedience of Jesus on the earth that secured our salvation. So remember, His obedience and going to the cross and doing the will of His Father is what secured our salvation. That obedience we lean into, the obedience of Jesus for salvation, that provided a way, and I hope that's clear. I'm not going to major on that today, but we know because of the obedience of Jesus the Son in going to the cross and fulfilling his mission, we rest in his obedience in terms of salvation. We Nothing we can do, no obedience we can do to earn our salvation or our life in eternity. However, once we are secure and we know our eternal security, and when we know that we are his and we know salvation and we're walking in his life, then from that place... Of course, we live a life of wanting to please our Father because we're secure in Him. And uh, for all that He's done, we, we sing. We want to please Him with our hearts. We want to please Him with our praise and our worship. We want to please Him by our lives being totally poured out and dedicated to Him. And in that place, we bring glory to His name, which is ultimately the vision for our life as a believer. If you want a life vision, well, you're called to bring glory to God in all that you do. Everything that you do, Everything that I do, everything that we do, we're called to bring glory to his name. There's something worth living for until the day we take it. And you can break that down into every area of your life, your career, your children, your, your family, those who are married, your husband, your wife, uh, your everyday work, the way you are with your family, your friends, the way you serve in, the, in his local church family. Every single area must permeate. I live to glorify God. That means every decision we make, we ask, what does the Father want me to do? Before we make those decisions, okay? So I'm going to give that glimpse now in the third scripture to the little boy's life, Jesus' life, and that one reference to him as a boy is in Luke chapter 2. So we can look at that together. It's, um, I'm going to read this chunk of scripture really quickly and then focus in on one area. And the child, the little boy Jesus, grew up and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then They began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? 
Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And I want to read that again, the bold part in this text for me and for us today. is Jesus' answer as a little boy. Did you not know, parents, that I must be in my father's house? In other words, or another, another version, or did you not know that I must be about my father's business as a boy? They did not understand the saying at the time, what he was saying to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them, his parents. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in the stature and in favor with God and man. Okay. So three points about Jesus as a boy from that text. I want us to see. When asked why he stayed behind in the temple, when his parents asked him, why did you stay behind? In their distress, you can imagine. I thought that lost their boy. Jesus answered, this is my father's house, or this is my father's business. In other words, this is my real calling, not my job or my carpentry work. Mom and dad, don't you understand? This is what I'm called to do. Okay? Point one. Number two, Jesus was so submissive, even as a boy. And to his parents, when they called, the word said he submitted and he went home with them, realizing that he didn't compromise his calling by being a little boy who did not listen. Even, now, even that he knew his calling to such a degree that his parents, grown up in age, couldn't understand what was going on. He could have just said, well, I'm here now. You need to get... He just submitted and followed his parents in a beautiful way, which backed up his calling. And he had the character already as a little boy to do what God asked him to do in terms of the authority that his parents had over his life. A very beautiful picture for us. Even when we know our calling... Hey, some of us know our calling more than others. Some of us are gifted more than others. And sometimes in the life of the church, you can have a very real sense of what God has asked you to do. And others, we're trying to figure it out. And you, you know, sometimes you stumble into what God has for you. Others that are really strong in knowing their calling need to also realize that there's a picture of submission. And it's harder for those, yeah, you can understand, to just be like the boy Jesus and go, okay, not yet. I know what I'm called to, but... You know, I've got parents, parents in the household of God. I've got to do and follow the ways of God still. And Jesus modeled that to us at a boy. Point two. And then the last and final third point. Jesus grew in wisdom in a way that won favor with God and with people. Because of his submissive nature in that place, what followed straight after that was that he grew. There was his test, one of his tests right there. How would he follow his parents? How would he uh, follow the line of authority that his father had put him in. He was actually limited in a sense, being fully God in a human body. Yet even in his limitation, he chose to submit and follow his parents, even knowing that he had a calling to walk out. And what happened was as soon as he followed the ways of his father, as soon as he stepped into the right submissive posture, look what happened. He passed the test and very immediately grew in favor with his father and with all People or with man. Okay. And we want to live that way too. So how do we apply that for our life? Well, there's a few things. Like Jesus, we get busy with our father's house, with his work. And we have to be honest about that. You know, when the question comes, what we're busy with, are how often are we stuck in our carpentry job? How often are we caught up in cutting wood or shaping wood? which is our everyday going about business, isn't it? Because for Jesus, there was very little 
about his carpentry career, to be honest. <laughs> there was very little about his life outside of his three years in the Gospels. And we see a laser beam focus. God the Father decided in his scriptures, in his truth, he was going to give us a zoomed in picture of Jesus walking out the purpose for his life. And he gave us one glimpse of him as a boy and a little touch that he also had a job as a carpenter. So I'll ask you now, if we search our hearts honestly, our carpentry situations in life, how important are they? Comparison to being busy with the Father's work, the Father's household. God is looking for us to be those that prioritize the great purpose in our life is that you and I are called. What do we sing about? We are the forgiven. We are the chosen. We are the freed ones. And we're freed and forgiven and chosen for great purpose. And it's not carpentry. It's the Father's house, the local church, the worldwide church, the field that he's put us in. There's a, a great priority in Jesus' heart that I believe we see even as a boy out working. And it's for us to catch and apply. So under my notes of application, what does it mean for us? We honestly search our hearts about, are we busy with the Father's house? Which means the Father's people. Which means the Father's purposes. Which means the lost that haven't yet come into his house. And you know what? That work never ends. It's a glorious inheritance that he has for us as the saints. And when we get that, we see an eternal picture and a vision of heaven, which is littered with one thing. What can we take to eternity with us? Only people. You know, this thing, I can't take my wallet, thank goodness, because it's such an irritation to have to always keep this in my left pocket. And in South Africa, look after it, touch it, make sure it's there. My phone, I mean, when Taryn doesn't have to take her phone into eternity, she can be so happy. Because I get asked about 10 times a day, babe, have you seen my phone? Babe, I don't know where my phone is. Did I leave my phone in the car? I'm like, Lord, one day, all we can take is people. Praise you, Lord, that that's all that matters. Even this laptop can be such a lust sometimes. Looking after it, ensuring it. So number two, practically applying. Do we know that we have a calling? Dan, who preached at the 412 conference, not all of you know, there were many good messages, but Dan Barnard touched on something which Mark and I know reflected on quite a bit. But he preached a wonderful message and said, uh, what did he say? He said a number of things. But he kind of said one thing so well, didn't he? We are all called. It's not just the guy on the stage who shared the message that morning or the worship leader. Every single one of you are called. Do you know Jesus? Are you in his salvation? Yes, and everyone responded. And he reminded that that means you are called. You want to know what you're called to in life? You're called to follow Jesus and be his expression on the earth. His hands and feet. You have a great calling. It will take your entire life. It will be your life's priority. Each and every one of us in Sipon, we are called. If you know Jesus today, you and I are called. And our life's priority has to be that. Okay. Point three. Are we growing in wisdom and maturity? Like that account in Luke where Jesus was growing in favor. Growing in wisdom and growing in favor. Are you living and experiencing? Are we living and experiencing Favor with God, growth in wisdom, and favor with people. It's a wonderful test as we are called to examine our own hearts. Do we, do we examine our hearts and go, Lord, 
Am I growing in wisdom? Show me. Am I growing in favor with you? Just highlight. Just reflect with me. And am I growing in favor with people? Uh, do you find sometimes that doors just open in conversation and you meet new people and you know, there's a white harvest or there's a closed door and then hopefully when you see a closed door, you move on quickly. Um, but do you see that the favor of God goes with you? There should be an increase of that. Um, and it's so faith-stirring, isn't it, when you see the hand of the Lord moving through conversations or through love or reaching out or bumping into somebody and the favor of God. The favor of God, Warren is the favor of God in this house this morning. Did you know that? The favor of God, that we are here, that you are here. You can say, you can clap. It's not about Warren. He knows it. It's about Jesus, that Jesus would bring a man here seeking water baptism, seeking to obey God in this area, that he would find a group of people who've laid down their lives. The first person he would meet would be someone who's very good with new people. The Lord knows that Bianca is a wonderful gateway into the church. That's what one of her gifts are. That when you have a conversation with Bianca, you feel at home and you'll come visit. How many people have had that? He's talking with Bianca. It's not a coincidence. Straight after that is off to the water and he's baptized. He's encountered the Lord in the week through coffee with Mark. And he's here this morning and it's not a coincidence. It's the favor of God over you and I. It's the favor of God over this household. And it's him reaching people. This is what the Father's work is it's what the Father's house is about, and carpentry becomes a second priority. Amen? Cool. You guys with me? Doing super well for 18 December, whatever it is. But there's a danger to us, and I probably want to just touch on this and then end, okay? So the airplane is getting ready to land. You can feel your ears starting to get blocked, and uh, the, captain's, the captain's muzzly voice is coming across, ladies and gentlemen. The drinks trolley will be packed away now, you know. <laughs> Cold drinks, Amy. <laughs> but yeah, it's a quick flight. We're going to land soon. And um, I just want to touch on, so Jesus went through many tests, but his greatest one would be the temptation that the enemy Satan brought to him. And you know he did three things, and I'm not going to read through it all. But if we highlight and you look in at the three things that Satan tempted him with. One was, protect yourself, Jesus. You know, jump off and call on birds to save you. Jump off the cliff. Protect yourself. Show us that you are God. So he, he called Jesus. He put him through the test of, can you protect yourself? Second, can you feed yourself, which is provision? So there's protection, provision. And the last one was, well, you can have it all. You can have wealth and power. You, if only you would worship me. So it was almost like, who are you going to worship? In other words, the priestly. So I see three things. I see pro- provision. Protection and, pre- and priestly. Who will you worship? And it's so interesting that these are the three things that we really try and hold on to the most. And I know that the husbands and the dads in this house, this, this uh, responsibility grows on us, doesn't it? Because we know that we're called to provide and protect. We're also called to be priests in the house. And he's our great provider and he's our great protector. And even as we go about our work and our responsibilities, and we do these things well in the houses that we're called to look after in our homes and our families. He's called us to be a priest in those homes. It means we seek him and we worship only God. We worship nothing else. We don't worship made and created things. We don't worship the things that he's given us. He is our ultimate source of provision and protection. And he is the one that we worship. He is the one that we lead our families to. 
above all things. Above all things. So I trust that we would get that from even what Jesus went through. He passed the test. He didn't give in to the temptation. He used scripture to quote back, this is what the truth is, this is what my father says, and get away from me, enemy and tempter. I do not want your voice to come into my, my space again. It's not very different for us. We need to face our tests. And I guess what our father wants us to pass them and pass them well. And he's with us. He's in the boat with us. It's not like a test when you get there and it's you and that exam pad. It's not. It's you and the test and the power of heaven behind us. He's all about us passing. And he's with us. We need to look to him. We need to draw on him. Amen? He's the answer to every test. And uh, Scripture says, New Testament, that he will give us a way out of every test, every temptation, everything that comes our way. The promise is that the Spirit of God, He will give us a way out. We will never be stuck. We will never be in a matrix that we can't get out. There's always a way out. If we're close to Him, if we abide in Him, if we seek Him, He will show us the way out and we will pass the tests that come our way. So I want, I want to just share to, to two, two areas or two people. Um, and before I do that, I'm going to end one last scripture. I think Dane might still have Philippians 2 verse 8. It's only one verse, but it's a beautiful verse. And it touches on the baby Jesus again with a the theme of Christmas. Uh, how cool is this? And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. I just really fall in love with that one scripture. I love it, that one verse. Talking about God and being found in appearance as a man. Let's just stop there. God was found in appearance as a man, as the child Jesus. Incarnation is the word. but I tried to find a more palatable word. It's God in human flesh. God limiting himself to live on the earth as a human is how he was found in appearance as a man, first as a baby, then as a boy, and then a grown-up man, Jesus, God in the flesh. Comma. So there is Jesus in the nativity scene, up to the comma. And straight after that, it's like a fast-forward to Jesus in the Gospels and what he was called to do. In one verse, we see the beginning, boom, born as a man, second, humbled himself, became obedient to death. Jesus, the grown man, on the way to the cross, dying for you and I, death on a cross. My purpose and my calling for life, Jesus Christ, was to come, be born, live a life of humility, listen to his Father's will only, do what he asked, go to the cross. Obedience was formed in him. Notice, became obedient. There was a test. Was he fully obedient when he was born? Yes, he was sinless, perfect God in human flesh. But even here, he became obedient to his task and purpose. What happened? He came through his tests really, really well. He took them on and he grew. His obedience was refined and it was tested and his obedience became fully mature and complete on the cross. And he has that for you and I. He has a plan for our obedience to become fully mature and fully refined. And guess what? We have a cross to carry as well. He died on the cross that we don't have to. But what is the cross that we have to carry? What is the sacrifice that he's calling us to make? What is he asking us? Where does our maturity become complete? Because we will be facing a test right now. 
Maybe the test is, God, I've gone ahead of you. What do you say? What do you want me to do? We have a responsibility to find his voice for our lives. <laughs> and then test his voice up against wise counsel. But if we miss his voice, we miss the test. We don't go through the test. We don't complete our maturity. We don't walk in our purposes. We can miss the Lord for our life. One decision, two decisions, three decisions can be out by this much. We can miss his purposes. Come through the tests. Find his voice. Make sure we find maturity and complete, complete, complete obedience. We're called to follow his voice and no other. Amen.